The following is an encore presentation of Exploring Missions. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions today. This is actually not Bert Harper. This is his son, Nathan Harper, that's going to be with you today. But thank you for joining us. And uh, we also have uh, a special guest joining us Today over the phone, his name is John Trotter. So, John, welcome and thank you for uh, being with us today. Yeah, thanks much. It's good to be with everybody. So, John is speaking to us uh, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and um, it's actually a place I've never been before. Maybe some of you listening have have been there. And uh, John, this is not your it's your new hometown, but it's not your original hometown. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, I grew up in the southern part of Indiana, Evansville, Indiana, uh, along the same river uh, as Pittsburgh here, along the Ohio, western Kentucky. So, okay. so yeah, uh, this is definitely uh, not where I grew up. Uh, we've been here about three years. So, okay, wonderful. So, tell us just real briefly as we kind of get an introduction to to who you are. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing, and maybe about your family, and uh, then we'll just kind of go into uh, your story if you want to. Sure, sure. Yeah, so I'm married. I've been married for 18 years. My wife's name is Charity, uh, and we have a little son, Amos, who's only four. So he kind of came late in the game uh, for us. All right, uh, keeping you young. Born in, say that again. Keeping you young. Oh yeah, I mean most uh, most of the people our age uh, with kids have prom pictures up on Facebook and whatnot, and <laughs> we have uh, Amos is about to start preschool. So okay, awesome. Um, so his name is Amos. Um, and yeah, we've uh, we've moved around uh, quite a bit, um, and mission world sometimes happens. Uh, but uh, we we've been in here in Pittsburgh for, like I said, three years. And um, the original kind of purpose of us coming was to work specifically with uh, former refugees from Nepal. So these are um, these are actually people who are from a nation called Bhutan, um, but they were ethnically and are ethnically Nepali. Uh, and they've lived in refugee camps for 18 to 25 years, depending on when they arrived in the U.S. Uh, and the United States began to resettle them, uh, I guess, well, probably 10 years ago now. Right. And because we uh, had worked previously with Nepalis, and, and my wife and I are Nepali communicators, we really wanted to focus on a community that had a large concentration. Uh, and so we have nearly, uh, the numbers are, thrown around everywhere, but we have anywhere between twelve and 15,000 Nepalis here uh, in Pittsburgh. Wow. And um, so it's it's quite a lot. Um, but one thing that we sort of experienced as we moved along here uh, is is there are, we kind of envisioned our role as being someone who would come alongside a local church and help local churches really um, kind of have good efforts in reaching out to Nepalis and maybe help them a little bit with some cultural or linguistic pieces that they were unfamiliar with. Uh, but what we discovered along the way were two things. Uh, one is that Nepalis have been here long enough um, that integration into 
sort of mainstream American culture and society is a, is a huge need. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing is there really wasn't much of a presence of a local church in the community uh, where we serve. Uh, and those two factors have basically led us to, to actually begin to plant a, a multi-ethnic uh, church here in the neighborhood, which we're just two months into that, and we call ourselves the Love Carrick. Carrick is the name of our neighborhood. Okay. And so uh, I could say a lot more about what we're doing, but uh, that's sort of where we are right now, sort of on this church planting stretch, and uh, we, we see that uh, as our future for many years to come. All right. So as you mentioned, you didn't, did not start in Pittsburgh. Uh, you, you were born in Indiana, you said. So how did, what's, the, what's the journey from Indiana <laughs> to Pittsburgh? And I'm sure there were a few places in between. So can you kind of share with us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, man, we've bounced around quite a bit um, in, in ministry. And some of that has to do with um, either my organization asking us about a, a new field or, uh, our, and then also we're kind of pioneers. Like I feel like right. we were re- pretty good at starting things. And so, so we've been a lot of different places. So I graduated from uh, from a small Assemblies of God Bible College, Trinity Bible College in North mm-hmm. Dakota uh, in 2002. And we spent the next year or so in um, primarily, well, not primarily, exclusively an African-American community um, in, in Savannah. It was kind of an inner-city kind of work. Um, after that, I actually um, uh, was feeling the the need and call to, to attend seminary. So... I actually followed one of my old professors who who was then teaching in North Dakota, but he had transferred to a to a small seminary in uh, in Asia in the Philippines. Okay. And so I actually did my my seminary there, and why I did that um, helped start kind of involved in a church plant. I wasn't like really super involved, but, but managed the the youth uh, ministry there and. Then, uh, Charity was actually teaching in a missionary kids school during my um, my studies, uh, and then for the two years uh, following seminary, we we were actually in the northern Mariana Islands, which is over mm. just east of the Philippines. Again, there was another kind of mutual connection, and and we both taught school there, uh, as well as did some youth ministry, um, and uh, the people a large Filipino population there, but um, indigenous islanders as well. Um, and then, so then we shift to somewhere, I think we're up to like 2004 at this point in the game, or 2007, I guess now, at the end of that time. And so in 2007, moved back to the U.S. Um, to because uh, my degree was in Islamic studies. So mm-hmm. I was really thinking, oh, wow, it would be, be wonderful if we could focus in on a Muslim people group. And so we talked to the mission organization that I'm part of. At that time, they were international teams. Now right. the, uh, the organization is one collective, okay. we're calling ourselves now. Um, and uh, so they they asked us to 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 go to Minneapolis and and help a team get started there. And um, really, we we moved with the intent to work with folks from Somalia. Right. Uh, and our team did that uh, during our entire ministry there. But we found uh, that the, the Bhutanese Nepali. As they first started moving to Minneapolis, they had no workers, and so that is really—I I guess that is the point in the story that, that was sort of like um, the line was kind of etched in the sand at that point. Like we found it. Like this is this is mm. this is our 
these are our people sort of thing. Yeah, that's um, really like interesting. 2007, 2008. So. Oh, that's, that's great. So um, we're speaking with John Trotter, who uh, is uh, uh, a mission worker currently in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's sharing with us his story of how he got to Pittsburgh through many different uh, travels and stops along the way. Um, before we go any further, John, I do want to mention one thing, and um, I think our listeners, and even myself, I find we find it interesting. I find it interesting. You probably uh, don't see this as being uh, as interesting as everyone else, but um, there's something special to me about you in that, that you are blind. Isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I... Um, yeah, I'm legally blind, have very little uh, remaining vision. Um, it's been kind of a progressive uh, eye disease that I have, but yeah, I am blind. And so I, I wanted to mention that right now just because um, maybe our listeners are hearing your story and how God has called you and using you in missions. And it's real easy for all of us to make excuses about why we're not doing certain things and, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, but honestly, when I hear your story, I think there's there's really no excuse. When God calls somebody and uh, he, he sends you out to serve, uh, really the only answer is, yes, Lord. And mm-hmm. uh, and I, I appreciate that about you, brother, that um, mm-hmm. you know, you've been willing to go anywhere and do, do what it is that God's called you. Um, yeah, I, I think for so many of us, it is sort of a, so, like, there's never an optimal uh, situation. There's never a perfect situation. And definitely missions uh, is, like, one of the worst careers uh, <laughs> to have if you're blind in terms of uh, mobility, in terms of, you know, yeah. all kinds of things. And, o- and, and overseas, so, there's probably not a lot of, uh, um, I don't know the word, but people aren't uh, just getting... A- you know, they're they're not making things easier for you in, in other countries. Just no, getting no, around, I'm sure, is well, hard. No, that's that's for sure. And really, our last transition um, blindness did play a big, big factor. Did play a big factor in that, and that um, you know it was uh, it was going to be a situation where I was either going to be kind of waited on by someone in, in the culture and have like a guide with me at all times, which I don't do mm-hmm. uh, normally. Uh, or I was going to be in a location where I can I can really thrive. And so so it's like yeah, there's a lot of cultures who yeah where disability is still sort of a uh, I don't know. There's just a lot of uh, a lot of fears about it. There's right. a lot of protection of the disabled, and so uh, so yeah, it it has its challenges for sure. Well, you you left off, and I kind of interrupted you. So you were in Minneapolis, and and I'm I'm sure a lot of our listeners understand there there's a large. Uh, Somali population in in Minneapolis, and and so you thought you were going there to work uh, exclusive exclusively with that people group, uh, an unreached people group. I would uh, uh, we need to we need to mention, um, mm-hmm. but there was another uh, group of people that that you kind of met and uh, can I say fell in love with as far as their culture? And, yeah, that's that's appropriate. Yeah, um, yeah, it really was. There there were several things that happened along the way, but. We moved when we first moved. We moved into a majority Somali apartment complex near downtown Minneapolis, and and began our you know just trying to figure things out: who is who, and what organizations are here, and just what anybody would do. They're new to a community, trying right. to serve them. And man, pretty early on, I would say uh, within our first six or eight months there, 
uh, World Relief, who is the uh, social justice arm of uh, National Association of Evangelicals, uh, they asked if we would help a um, help welcome a Bhutanese Nepali family, uh, which was one of the first to to the state of Minnesota. Okay. And you know we were like anybody; we we're getting out the maps, trying to figure out where, where Bhutan was, and, and uh, knew nothing at all uh, about this. Uh, we knew about this region of the world, but definitely not about Bhutan and Nepal. And so we began to, uh, yeah, we we worked with this this one family. It was actually uh, a guy who came on his own, and then his family followed him later to the states. And it was just little by little, uh, we found ourselves. Um, I found myself getting on the bus going back and forth from Minneapolis to St. Paul. St. Paul was uh, the area where a lot of the Nepali were living. Okay. And I just I just looked around after a while and we're like, wow, there's there's really no one here. There's really no one working with them. There's no one loving them well. There's I don't have any American friends. Uh, and so we actually ended up moving over to St. Paul um, from Minneapolis. is just 10 minutes away. And um, and so yeah, we we did. We really fell in love with them. And, uh, we even I think I had a moment in like 2008 ish uh, where I was sitting on a I was sitting on a couch, and all this stuff was happening in Nepali. I could hear all these people speaking in Nepali in this room. It was a, it was a, a higher caste home, so that means that the the main man of the home, the father of the home, was a priest. Mm-hmm. And I just just remember watching the entire conversation pass me by. Like I, I never understood. I didn't understand anything of what was happening. And, and I think it was at that moment where I can still feel the way that the, um, that the arm, the, my arms are resting on the chair where I had this moment where it was like the Holy spirit dropped it in my heart. If you're, if you're going to serve and love your Nepali neighbors, you've got to figure out how to talk to them. And so from that point on, it was like, you know, game on, uh, we're learning Nepali, and um, you know, praise the Lord. You know, several years later now, um, my wife and I, as well as um, one of our teammates here, we're all pretty decent Nepali speakers, and that has just opened up major, major doors for us. Yes. The the, the location is usually the first barrier in cross-cultural work, uh, but second, real close following that is that language. And um, mm-hmm. praise God, he's given you that ability. So, um, fast forward a little bit, but that led you to, uh, how long ago was it that you went to Nepal itself? Yeah, that was 2013 to, uh, 2015. So we were there roughly two years. And so, and then, yeah, we came back to the States in, uh, May or so of 2015. Okay. So now you're in, uh, Pittsburgh and the name of the neighborhood is Carrick. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And so is that a large concentration of Bhutanese Nepali refugees living living in that neighborhood? Yeah, that's definitely why we chose the neighborhood. It's um it's a lower income neighborhood. Um and there's probably fifteen hundred um Bhutanese Nepalis here in the neighborhood. But then as you go farther it would be south from here, you start getting into some kind of inner ring suburbs. And uh, those have large Nepali pop- um, populations as well, and, and that seems to be where where a lot of uh, Nepalis, once they get more established, are wanting to find homes. Right. But um, we we still feel feel a real big burden uh, for for Carrick, and and uh, it does seem to be that um, even though there's uh, a lot of uh, homeowners who are moving moving out, 
um, there's still a whole lot of people moving in, and uh, there's there's probably eight or ten Nepali businesses in our community. Okay, very interesting. Now, we don't have time on this program to go into the history of the Bhutanese and Nepali refugee uh, issue um, and their story. It's, uh, it's a really, it's a long, interesting, but heartbreaking story. Um, mm-hmm. But to summarize, maybe, um, we and this is something you've, you talk about in your book, and we're going to talk about your book here in a second. Uh, but John's written a book, and he mentions in his book about the idea of identity, uh, this concept of identity. And of all the people groups and all the refugee groups that uh, you've worked with, that I've worked with, the Bhutanese Nepali seem to really, there's that struggle of, of who am I? Um, what is my identity? I mean, you're, you're talking about a people group that, uh, ethnically, they're from Nepal, but they grew up in Bhutan, uh, but then were forced to leave Bhutan and go back to Nepal and living in these refugee camps for 18 years or so. Uh, and now many of them are here in the U.S. Well, they really struggle, especially the older ones, they really struggle with what their identity is. Is that right? Yeah, it really is true. Um, and there's, I mean, there's so many different reasons for that, but it's... Uh, it's such a confusing thing to be a Bhutanese Nepali person um, because you have like an older generation, like you mentioned, who all they know is Bhutan. That's that's where they know they can still remember the animals they had and working in the field. And um, yeah, they remember that so well. Uh, I talked to an older lady a few months back and she just named all the different trees and what they were. She just explained the different chores they would do. And quite honestly, every time I go to her home, she constantly talks about Bhutan and and what is what has happened, even though she's been away from there for nearly thirty years. Um, and then you have a kind of a middle generation that, that would be pretty much ages like I guess twenty two, twenty three years old up until about forty years old. Um, those are those are all people who who identify with Nepal refugee camp, not necessarily Nepal. Um, but the, at least the refugee right. life, as they would call it. Um, and so that's an identity. And then now you have this newer generation growing up in the U.S. who has a completely other identity. So you've got language mishaps, you've got cultural misunderstanding, and you've got uh, location sort mm-hmm. of sort of um, complications. So it's uh, I think even within one family, it's, it's incredibly confusing. Um, I talked to a Nepali pastor recently who... Uh, who said his child can only stand understand about thirty percent of what he said? Wow! So um, you talk about yeah some confusion, uh, and so that's why it's so so important uh, for we as Christ followers to to announce that there is a new kingdom, mm. right, and that there is a new way of life and there's a new identity. Uh, and without that, uh, I just don't see a whole lot of hope. Yeah, and that's for all of us, um, but especially the these uh, these Bhutanese Nepali refugees who are tangibly struggling in that area. Um, mm-hmm. And so you're surrounded by these groups of people, but it's not just Nepalis, uh, refugees. It's um, you, You've got other people in your Carrick neighborhood, right? We do, uh, although we're not. Uh, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of communities like this where uh, Nepalis are living in kind of urban areas where there's just a huge number of groups of, of immigrants and former refugees and whatnot. And we really don't have that in Carrick. We have mostly um, we have mostly African American 
a Caucasian, and just a very small amount of Guatemalans who live here. Mm-hmm. But pretty much it's those three, group, those three groups, Nepali, um, Black, and White, are definitely um, the, uh, the major groups. And, and I think uh, there's just several things I could say here, but because of that, uh, it being a poorer and uneducated community, there's a lot of challenges uh, as Nepalis have moved in. There hasn't been much diversity. Uh, in the community for many, many years. So all of a sudden, there's 1,500 people from Nepal here. So there's mm-hmm. um, there's an incredible amount of, of racial tension, of misunderstanding, and um, we're sort of a bridge in that. I mean, I feel like sometimes we're a bridge that um, people walk across, and sometimes people we're a bridge that um, people want to kick over <laughs> or kick down. Um, but uh, that's just the reality yeah. of trying to bridge uh, racial and, and being yeah, in the midst of racial reconciliation. Mm. So, uh, I do want to shift a little bit and talk about your book, and and in that also about the ministry there in Pittsburgh. Uh, but you've written a book recently that's called "Reflecting Jesus in the City," and it's about Christ-like ministry in urban immigrant contexts. Uh, but I would say it it's not simply about immigration; it's it's about ministry in those uh, urban areas. Um, and you said something at the beginning of this interview that really um, I, d- I was not aware of. You said that your first goal in coming into uh, Pittsburgh was to kind of help equip churches in, in doing this type of ministry. And you said you discovered there really weren't churches in the area. Um, is, it, is it the similar? Most, most uh, American cities have this kind of a scenario where you have strong biblical um, maybe mission-oriented churches, but they're all around the outskirts of the city. They're in the suburbs, and a mission field in their own back door, in their own backyard, in the inner city, has kind of been left alone. Is that what you're finding in Pittsburgh? Yeah, we definitely are. Um, there is one church in the neighborhood who has done pretty darn well in trying to engage um engage younger Nepalis and, and children, and they, they do have an ESL class, um, and um, I'm good friends with their pastor. Uh, their community is, or their church is aging, however, right. and, and they don't have um, a whole lot of people from the community itself who go to the church. So I think that is one exception, um, but other than that, yeah, it's, it's very similar of, of this thing of, of where there's great need in urban centers uh, a lot of times. You know the thriving and the growing churches are on the on the outskirts uh, in suburbs, and suburbs, and a lot of times there's a vacuum. Um, but there has been there has been a huge emphasis in, in recent years uh, on urban ministry and urban uh, church planting. But those are primarily in areas that are becoming gentrified and mm. and uh, not so much where sort of like the zero zone where the the community is decaying. Um, and from my personal opinion, that's where there's the greatest uh, felt need. Yeah, uh, and so that's why we're here. But yeah, it is a it is a difficult and challenging situation. But we know that the Lord has called us to this place, mm. and uh, we do pray that that light shines bright there in 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 dark corners and and in people's lives. Uh, one thing you talk about in your book is the need to um, approach ministry in a in in a whole, a holistic gospel, a holistic ministry, uh, not just. Um, uh, want to save people's souls, but also want to see uh, injustice corrected and want to see people helped in t- practical, tangible ways. 
but want to see those things kind of come together in a, in a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, have, have, how have you guys been able to, to go about that? Yeah, so there's, uh, you know, when you're dealing with, um, you know, you're dealing with a community, particularly among the Nepalis who are, you know, mostly Hindu, um, you can you can talk a whole lot about Jesus. There's a, there's a need for that, and we do that quite regularly with stories, with testimonies from our lives. But there, you know, there's there are so many practical ways. So one thing that we've done, um, I would say, more recently, um, is we've just connected with a lot of different community groups. There's a lot of secular community groups here in the neighborhood who, when they heard about uh, Love Carrick, the name of our church. They were quite excited uh, that there was there was someone just willing to care because there's been so much decay, and so uh, we've been welcomed with open arms. So there's a uh, there's like a crime crime watch meeting that we attend uh, every month. There's a uh, we joined with a, a group recently to do a um, kind of a summer feeding program for lo- uh, lower income come students. Uh, we've definitely been involved in tutoring in English. I've, I've had just a group of, um, of young Nepali men and do college-level tutoring at my house. Uh, and so there's all these practical needs. In fact, uh, if you're not careful, you're, gonna, you're just going to get swallowed up in the amount of, amount of practical needs that there are. And so we have to be fairly selective, you know, about what we're, what we're really going to focus on, what are our areas of uh, of strength and um, but no, we, we definitely um, I don't I don't know that anyone uh, could could ever really accuse us here as being the people who only care about proclaiming the gospel. I mean, there's just no way that they can make that accusation mm. because of the amount of time that we're giving to to trying to serve the whole person. And sometimes we get it well, and I think this balance is sort of one you have to be careful on because right. I think you can swing too much in either direction. And there's definitely times where we have to sit around as a team and be like, Hey, uh, who have you shared the gospel with lately? Yeah. And if that answer is on the low end, we have to be like, well, let's, let's get back to that. So it's always like this pendulum that swings back and forth. Mm. We're talking with John Trotter and, uh, unfortunately we're going to have to wrap up our conversation here just a little bit. Uh, the time has flown by. There's so much, John, I'd love to talk with you about. Uh, but I do want to, uh, let our listeners know that they can pick up your book and read more and they'll find more stories of, of what you guys are doing and have done in your ministry. The book is called Reflecting Jesus in the City. Uh, where can they find that, John? Yeah, it's on Amazon. I think that's going to be the best place. If you would just simply search Amazon Reflecting Jesus in the City, I think that's the first thing that pops up. So that would be pretty simple. And uh, the name of your church, Love Carrick. I, I love the name of your church. Um, it's just mm-hmm. simply named what you're trying to do is love the n- people in the neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can find us with that. Um, we have a Facebook page that you can just simply type in Love Carrick and you will, you'll find us there. I think it might be, um, well, I know it's uh, facebook.com slash we love Carrick. I think it's the URL for that. But then we also have a website okay. uh, for the church, which is simply lovecarrick.org. That's spelled C-A-R-R-I-C-K. So lovecarrick.org. You can find us there. Wonderful. John, thank you so much for uh, spending your time with us and telling us a little bit about your journey and your ministry and... Uh, We pray that God will bless, continue to bless, and give you strength to carry on what He's called you to do. Great. Thanks so much. It was great to talk with you all. 
So thank you for listening today to Exploring Missions. And may you be on mission wherever God has placed you. May your light shine bright in those dark corners.